thankful to share this hour with you and to be able to share this Easter time with you. And our prayer is um, simply this, that the veil has been let down and that you have been able and you will be able to see Jesus for who he is. And that's, that's the beautiful part is when we hear a song, some of you are probably sitting in the room going, I have no idea what that veil is or what they're talking about, but apparently they're pretty passionate about this. And we really are because here's what happened when Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them. They, they do not know what they're about. Father, release them and free them. When he cried out from the cross that it was finished, there was this powerful moment that the veil was let down and that which separated us from the living God. It was torn in two and the veil was wrought. It was brought down and we were able to walk into the presence of the living God and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so happy Easter on that. I mean, that would be good enough, right? I mean, that would be enough. But here's what's powerful about that. The veil was let down. But as scripture tells us, when the veil was released and the presence of God was made manifest among us and we became Easter people and we just kind of stood in shouting out, Jesus is, he is alive, he's resurrected. This is, this is the beauty of the power of our living God. The veil was let down from top to bottom. That's, let me just kind of get that through to you. The veil was this separation in the culture of that day and the Jewish religion of that day that said, here's the holy place and here's you. And it was torn by God from top to bottom saying, here is the holy place. His name is Jesus. And so welcome to worship today. It's a good Easter. If we could, um, Penny um, and the choir begin the service just this way, if we could have you walk out with a simple message, it's this, that Jesus, according to the scriptures, died for your sins. That he was buried and he was resurrected so that you could understand the power and magnitude of Easter. And some of you are kind of rolling in a room going, I don't even know I was sinful. Um, You are, and welcome to the payment, the price of your sin and the justice before the living God. The veil has been let down and we walk through that in and through Jesus Christ. This is Comeback Sunday. Welcome to the ability to come back. I have a, um, a fellow I know named Louis Giglio wrote a book. I haven't read the book yet, but I just like the title. It's called The Comeback. And are we not sitting in a moment that's just filled with comebacks? I mean, this is Comeback Sunday. For heaven's sake, we had a beautiful child walk the um, light from the tomb of Jesus Christ down. Is it not Comeback Sunday? I mean, we are a church that is worshiping atop the tomb of the resurrected Savior. He is not there. It's Comeback Sunday. And so I'm just, I'm just so grateful for this, this opportunity to worship with you and just to say, God, you, you are a great God of comebacks. We've been studying um, in this church for several weeks the um, I Am statements of Jesus. And a simple statement that, that began this series was this, knowing the I Am, knowing who Jesus is, will shape who I am. Let's kind of let that sink in for a little bit. Knowing who Jesus is, and the more we know of Him, and the truth of what He said about Himself, it will redeem and restore us. It will transform us. For some of us in this room, you are in this room in the midst of the most horrifying and and deathly situation. And God is stepping in saying, I brought you into this worship encounter to let you know that I am a God of comebacks. I am a God of restoration. I am, as John 11, 25 says of him, I am the resurrection and I am the life. 
And the more you know of me, the more that your life will be transformed and your life will be redeemed for the goodness of who I am. So the I am transforms who I am. And our God is a God of extraordinary comebacks and great power. And we just really want for the next few minutes to make more of him. We've already done that for quite a bit. I love that God is bringing this idea of assurance and peace and rest into the room today. In 2 Corinthians 4, 14, this, this scripture speaks to us as the God of comebacks. We know this one, being Jesus, who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, the Father who raised Jesus from the dead, He will raise us also. There's a good Easter moment for you just to go, thank you, Jesus. I know, he says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, or 4, 14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and will present us in him. He carries on to say in the fifth chapter, verses 14, we've been resurrected with Jesus and this is what it's done for us. The love of Jesus Christ compels us. We've reached this conclusion. If one died for all, being Jesus, then all died. And he died for all. Every one of us who can hear these words, he gave his life for you. And here's why. So that you should no longer live for yourselves, but for the one who died for them and who was resurrected for them. That is the comeback message that we are compelled. If you're in this room and you're a guest in this church, just know this about us. And I want to talk a little bit about us as a church and what the I am means to us. We are compelled by the love of Jesus. I hope that someone around you threw their head back and sang some of the songs we were singing with a little bit of abandon. And if you haven't had relationship with him yet, you thought this is weird. But they're clearly passionate about this thing. That something's going on among these folks and they are, they are pretty excited about this whole Easter idea. Here's what we are telling you. The love of Jesus Christ compels us. It moves within us and we, here's, here's what we can no longer do. We can't simply walk through this world as if there is not a savior who died for our sins, who was resurrected and marking that as the clarifying comeback of all time and who has marked our lives. We walk around as people filled with purpose because we are a people of great comeback. We have been brought back to life by Christ himself. And so we just welcome you to worship this day and knowing that, knowing that as we walk through worship, I was thinking of this idea that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he really does re-come back stories among us. And I just began to read this week in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews and just thinking through the people that we call the epitome of heroes in the faith, the most surprising people, it would be just like you and like me. I read um, early in Hebrews, the 11th chapter about Moses. I think some of you could identify with this. In fact, I would make it, I would, I would estimate or guess that many of us in this room are in the midst of the Easter story, but we're not quite yet at the resurrection. We're middle, in the middle of these days where either we're feeling like we're being crucified in this world or it's Saturday and everything is extraordinarily quiet. And I will not guarantee you that at the end of these wise words that I have from scripture, you will be relieved of that. I can just promise you that our God is with you. I read comeback stories like Moses, where he was literally, no kidding, living with this title on the backside of nowhere for 40 years. And God just walked up to him. And perhaps this is the day that he will walk up to you. And a fire was lit. It was a fire that would never end. And he just began to speak to him. And he said, Moses, you will no longer live for yourself. 
You're going to go and spend yourself. And Moses met Jesus on this incredible comeback story. I read um, in scripture, and we actually talked about this in my small group today, about Rahab. Just, just, can we just go with her title and we can be done with her comeback? I was reading about Rahab the prostitute. And oh, by the way, I was reading about Rahab the prostitute in the Heroes of the Faith. Who by faith saw something far greater. I have no doubt that there are many of us in this room who have ourselves prostituted our lives out to anything but Jesus. And I have great news for you. Our God is a God of comebacks. Our God is a God who will meet you regardless of where you have been. He will meet you where you are. And you may find yourself by the grace of God and the mercy of His Spirit in the middle of a faith story that is unbelievable. No longer living for yourself. Rahab, by faith, met God. It shifted everything. And she ends up in the, in the heroes of the faith story. I just was running David, for heaven's sake. Some of you are very passionate. Very, very passionate. And if you're like David, who was described as a man after God's own heart, your passion can lead you astray. And your passion can often lead, lead you to Christ. David was a man who fell greatly and his restore, restoration was even greater by God. I, I picture so many stories of David as he just sought this journey with God. Redemption compels the hearts. These hearts are filled with worship. I think of the most unlikely comeback story. It was the last moment in his life. I mean, no kidding. Many of us are here and our lives are moving away. We are, we are silver haired and we're in our last days. If we could be a bit like Samson and say, Father God, if I could in this last moment of life glorify you, if you would allow me, and many of us, unlike Samson, have walked faithfully with God. Many of us, like Samson, have failed him greatly and And yet Samson just simply said, Father, I know that I have merited my life into my own strength. But if you would allow your strength to return to me once again, I will place my hands on this pillar, these two pillars, and I will lift up your name. And he did. And he did. Our God is a God of great comebacks and he meets every one of us exactly where we are to redeem and restore us not to leave you where you are but on this easter day to step into your life and say i have something so much greater for you no matter your lot in life whether you are faithfully pursuing god or you are far from him and you think the veil has separated you i just come to you with this easter message christ died for you He laid down his life for your sin, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised to new life for your sake and the glory of God, according to the scriptures. And he's a God of great comebacks. And I just come to you saying, believe that. In John, the 11th chapter, there's a single verse that I just really want you to hear. Jesus is doing something powerful in this moment. He is not speaking of his resurrection. He is speaking of a temporal resurrection on this earth. And in the 11th chapter of the book of John, verse 25, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, or don't know where to get there, it's on the screen. And in John 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. In this context, he is meeting with and encountering some folks who are deeply grieving on this earth. He has two sisters whose brother has passed and they have called out for him and they have said, Jesus, come help us. 
And in the midst of this, I love that their encounters, like the moment that he walks up, this is too much of the story and I'm not going to tell the whole story. Read John 11 all through about Lazarus and his resurrection from the dead because after all, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if he is that I am, if that's who he is, then it will change who we are. He is stepping in and saying, look, I don't know where your story is, but I know that I am the resurrection and the life. And I am, and I will step in to your moments. And they were crying out, Jesus, help us. And he tarried. Some of you are literally in the moment of tarrying going, I don't know where God is. And he tarried. I love this. It says, so that the faith of others and the women would expand and the glory of God would be made known. There are often trials that we would love to escape from, but here's what the I am, the resurrection and the life is doing. Is it possible that he is shaping us for something even greater in the midst of the trial? And is it plausible that you begin to trust him regardless the circumstance? Because he's coming in to say, I'm the resurrection and the life. And I know right now, I know right now, sisters, that we are standing on the edge of a grave. But I've got more. I am more. I'm the resurrection and I am the life. I am the hope in the midst of this. I want to read the next two verses. John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus said to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he'll live. She will live. Maybe this, this world that we're walking through for 70 or 80 or 90 years is not all that there is. And we don't live for ourselves, but we live for something far greater. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The version I'm reading says ever. It's just, I don't know, my heart is full and I'm, I'm a robust ameter right now. I'm just going, are you kidding me? This is awesome. Do you believe this? And he, she said, yes, Lord. And I could just come alongside you and have... Jesus himself sit down with you as opposed to some frail creature like myself. I just would speak Jesus' words to you. Do you believe this? Do you believe he will meet you where you are? Do you believe that he has laid down his life for you? Do you believe that he can cover you? Do you believe that you can stand aside of a grave that is filled with the one that you love? Do you believe you can stand in any circumstance and Jesus will meet you where you are and he is the resurrection and the life? Her answer was, I believe. I have no idea how you would reconcile this because if we were going to read the rest of the story, they will say to him, Jesus, if quoting in the King James now, which is my favorite version of this, our brother stinketh. He's been there four days and I don't think you want to call him out. And Jesus says, no, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And you may be in something that you're pretty sure stinks by now, but I'm life. And I am capable and able to resurrect this for the sake of who I am. Lazarus is an extraordinary comeback story. And I think in preparing for his own resurrection, Jesus, he demonstrated victory over death as he raised Lazarus from the dead. And I believe he was saying something more powerful about himself. In fact, I don't believe that. He was saying something more powerful about himself than he was about this moment of resurrecting Lazarus. He was saying, I am resurrection. I'm life. Those who come to me, the ones who believe, you'll never die, ever. You will have new life. That is the hope that we bring. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 
verse 21, God made him, being Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you enjoy a comeback right now? Here is what Jesus is saying. He made him, God made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin, sin. He bore that on our behalf. And here's why. So that we might become the righteousness of God. He stepped in and brought resurrection. In Romans 4.25, it reads this way. That Christ was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. He was delivered up on a cross for our trespass, and he was raised from a tomb so that we might be justified before the, before the Father, so that we might be marked in Christ as made new. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Happy Easter. Like, that's going to trump the $20 egg that you find this afternoon. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Happy Easter. We are resurrected in Him. And if so, I have a few thoughts about the body of Christ, and then we're going to close the service. But I just, can I share three thoughts about the body of Christ? We're a people of glorious hope. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and He is, and we have embraced Him, then in the midst of this, we are a people of glorious hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the great display of the Father's power. But it's more personal than that. Paul personalized this in Ephesians, the first chapter, when he said, this immeasurable power, this immeasurable power is given to those who believe according to the work of the vast strength of our Father. He demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. So can you just back up with me a little bit that with that? This is Resurrection Sunday. We're kind of excited about that as followers of Jesus. This resurrection power lifted up Jesus and seated him at the right hand of the, of the Father. Scripture will also tell us that as he is seated at the right hand of the Father, you can get very personal about this because right now, you and I that are gathered in this room, he is interceding or praying for us that we will understand the power of this message. Like he's really talking to God the Father right now. God the Son is. But more, just backing up with that, in the scripture that I just read in Ephesians 1, it says, not only did he gain the resurrection, but the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave lives in those who believe. Because that's true, we're a people of enormous hope. And this hope will not disappoint, according to Romans, the fifth chapter. This power is available to us. It is in our lives. We don't need to walk around living half-victorious or defeated lives. We walk. Here it is. It is not our victory. We already walk in the victory of the resurrected Jesus. And so in that, we're not walking around going, is everything going better today? Is everything a little bit worse today? How's the circumstances? No, we are walking about as people of glorious hope with the resurrection defining us and we are a people in victory. It's one, we walk in it. Our God is the limitless supply of the resurrection power. Glory to God and happy Easter. Praise God for that. The same power that raised Jesus from the grip of death and hell lives in us. We must understand that we understand this to be true. 
This truth is complete and total. It is a game changer. It is the comeback. God, your power, it steps in, it brings hope. His resurrection, our resurrection. Happy Easter. His death and burial, His covering, our covering. His righteousness, our righteousness. His holiness, our holiness. His redemptive story, our redemptive story. Our God is a good God. He is a God of comebacks and He offers it to you and to me. And we have great hope in that. I was, um, I was last week, and I'm going to try not to do too many stories, but last week I was walking with a group of people. In fact, yesterday was kind of a sad day. It was the first time I didn't look back at the week before and think what was happening in a third world nation as we fleshed out the gospel. But I, I saw a comeback story. And I just wanted to share the story with you and the power of the story and what it means to have glorious hope. Um, one year prior in March of 2015, uh, we gathered with a lady at a mat, and I think she's coming up on the screen right now. And uh, we just um, met with her. She was sitting outside of her unfinished house in the nation of Haiti. She was on her deathbed. Her daughter works with the orphanage that we worked with. We um, gathered there, and I had probably one of the, the most sacred moments of my life, and I'm so thankful for smartphones, even in third world countries. Because I knelt with her thinking that she will not be with us but a few more days or weeks at most and just began to pray with her. And um, as I was praying, my daughter who lived there was interpreting in French Creole and there was just this worship moment as this beautiful lady was just celebrating Christ. And, and in the meantime, our family began to gather kind of on a daily basis there and, and her house was unfinished. And that disturbed us. And so um, we began to think, what if we could allow her to live in her temporal house as she prepares for eternal house. And so um, we got to go back this past year and we saw this picture and it's really just cool. Um, on the right hand side is her new home and on the left hand side is her old home. And um, one of the neatest things is the whole family and Cynthia was talking to us last week and she just said, what's the most cool about this is there was probably 30 people out front. Her whole family gathers here. This is the gathering place for everyone to come. I mean, that would be enough comeback story to just say we finished the house and she's with the Lord. And that would be good, right? But it was really neat. The first day we went by, she wasn't around. And the second day we went by, she wasn't around. And and then we were walking back on this dusty street. And jubilation comes down the street. A person of glorious hope. And her hands are waving. Half of us in the circle, she had no idea who we were. The other half, she knew us. And she is praising God. I don't know, you know, I didn't, I don't speak French Creole. I would like to by this time next year, but she is praising God. She is worshiping with abandon. She's grabbing people and hugging them. She's doing the cheek kiss, which goes on in Haiti, which is awkward for us Americans, but we embrace it by the end of the week. She is worshiping God. And what by the, we, we go for 20 minutes, just this incredible story of redemption, a comeback story, a lady on a mat on her dying days. And I, I don't have the comeback that, oh, she's healthy. The next day she was back in the hospital. What I have the comeback is this. It was regardless of her circumstances, regardless of what was going on, regardless of whether her lungs had air that day or not, regardless of whether cholera was dominating her body or not. Here's who she was. I am a worshiper. I am madly in love with Jesus. If you meet me, you'll meet him. I want you to know the story. I want you to know God. And oh, by the way, I'm going to pray for you and you'll have no idea what I'm saying. And then I'm going to yell at you again. And then I'm going to rejoice with you. Then I'm going to wave my hands in the air because I have glorious hope. And I was just thinking, I, that should probably be us. 
There should be stories of redemption going on throughout this place. We once sat on a mat. Our bodies are wasting away still on this earth. And yet the fullness of our spirit is becoming stronger and stronger. As we enter the hospital for the 27th time, we will enter it with thanksgiving on our lips and with praise on our hearts. That is the message of glorious hope. And that is the prevailing message of Paul is that your bodies, they are wasting away and yet they are temporary shells for something and someone that grows stronger day in and day out. And his name is Jesus and it's Easter and he's alive. Praise God. So we're, yeah, I like that too. We are people of great glorious hope. You should listen more quickly now. I'm almost done though. And we're in, we're in this extraordinarily powerful, redemptive community. And I think I just described it. We're in this community where we believe these great things about our God. I, I, I love 1 Corinthians 15, 17 and 32. It says these words, If Christ has not been raised, then you should toss everything aside and eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. And if we're sitting in here as Easter people, whether this is your first Sunday or your 2000th Sunday in this church, let me just say this. If Jesus has not been resurrected, we are fools for wasting, wasting this hour. But Paul says, but if Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, you should risk, spend, leverage, give everything. And that's the hope that we come. We come just saying with frail bodies. We worship you, Jesus. With frail hearts, we risk our lives because we are a, a community that is redemptive in nature. Do you not desire, as we sit in this room, do you not desire to have a family who in you're in the midst of your death throes, who are simply crying out saying, someone go find Jesus. In this account in John, the 11th chapter, I love that family surrounds Lazarus and that sisters surround him and the greater community surrounds him. And they're looking and saying, he's in trouble. He's in bigger trouble. Trouble just left the building. Trouble's in a tomb. Trouble is four days in the tomb. Someone get Jesus. We all desperately need that. People who are crying out when we are in the midst of the death of our decisions, in the midst of poor poor thought processes, in the midst of our own sin and shame, we need someone who steps in and says, we are going to Jesus for you. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's why we exist, to come and say, God, we long for you. We need you. I, I look at this beautiful picture of the New Testament and see these depressed, cowering, fearful followers of Christ and the disciples. And then I make a turn and I see this redemptive community among them. Can you imagine the conversations that the disciples had after the resurrection of Jesus? They had to be prolific. They should look like our conversations. These these. Eleven disciples who scattered every which way were gathered back again. They saw the resurrected Jesus and their lives were undone. They were wrecked for the glory of God. If Jesus hasn't been resurrected, we should eat, drink, and be merry. But he has. 
And we're going to spend ourselves going to every continent possible for the sake of the gospel. And we will share this story. I love Peter, who, by the way, denied Jesus three times. And then here's Peter in the second chapter of the book of Acts saying, House of Israel, I want you to hear this. All of you, every one of you should know this, that with certainty that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. Hear this. The one that you crucified, he is Lord. This is a man who was hiding and a little girl said, I think you might be with Jesus. And he starts cursing her. And here he is. And we just see this, this beautiful power of redemptive community as they begin to share life as disciples and have conversations together and begin to talk about where are we carrying the gospel? How is this going? God, what are you doing? And it was beyond our imagination. It was beyond anything that we could, we could we could ask or fathom, and it just began this process of, God, if you're resurrected from the dead, then we will risk everything for you. And I believe there is call for great risk. I think we should risk loving greatly. I think we should risk forgiving immensely. We should risk extraordinary generosity. We should risk carrying over to the cubicle at work the gospel story of Jesus Christ. We should risk in so many ways because Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And we should look at one another and share these extraordinary stories of risk. I was reading this week, it says, if this transformational story is true, then we should be frantic people for the gospel. And frantic people wave their hands wildly. Frantic people worship extraordinarily. Frantic people are deeply passionate. They do things that make sense. They do things that don't make sense. And we are a people who are frantic because Jesus... Is alive. And happy Easter. As a faith community, we're praying and living and dreaming that things that we're about, they count in eternity. And we are weighing and we are counting this cost. I heard one more story. Lydia and I were sitting, um, Lydia was sitting right in front of me. That's my daughter. And we were enjoying our last night in Haiti and it was just amazing. I want to introduce you to someone. She's coming on the screen right now. Um, her name is Mara. Isn't she pretty? So we're having an um, open mic night. This is something we're going to start here at Mandarin as well. And so um, it's Friday night. It's open mic night. And we're, um, we're just, and what that means is the kids just came out of a three-hour worship service. And now they have open mic night. And I don't know what your view of open mic night is, but it became powerful for me because they really do dance. Clearly, they haven't fully understood that Baptist part of the children's home. And so... Um, <laughs> Well, they, they're dancing like crazy, but all of their songs are just resonating for Jesus. And it's just beautiful. And so at one point, it was getting on into the night, and um, Mary Jo brought up the little one- and two-year-olds and three-year-olds. And I, Benny and Mara, Ella, who we just love with all of our heart, Luke, every one of those has a story. And, and they have a song that plays in worship, and, and all of the two-year-olds are dancing, and it's so beautiful. And Lydia's sitting right in front of me. Where are you, Lydia? Lydia's sitting right in front of me. And I have no idea where she is. And so, um, hey, Lydia. Lydia's sitting right in front of me, and we're just laughing. And I see her laughing, and I'm behind her. I'm just enjoying it. Little two-year-olds dancing for the glory of God. And then the song ends... And um, Mike, Mike Snyder, who's a part of this church and leads the orphanage over there, he walks up. And we're all still laughing. I mean, picture two-year-olds just shaking for the Lord. And it's beautiful. And so um, and then he walks up and he says, 
lest you not understand what's going on. And we're still smiling and we're happy. And Mike says, Mara, this isn't just a dance. Mara came to us a little over a year ago and they never knew whether she would speak a word in her life and they never knew if she would walk. And I just want to tell y'all, and then this is where Lady and I come in. She looks back at me and I'm looking at her. We're in the ugly cry mode. You know when your face is all messed up? We're like going, this was funny until a second ago. And this is God right now. And he's like, she, we never knew that she would walk. And I, I'm longing. I just sat and listened to that. And I thought of that as a picture of the community, a redemptive community of believers. As we begin to share stories with one another, it may or may not be that we never dreamed we would physically walk. That may be true of some of us, but most of us in this room, if not for God's grace, we would have never walked. We would have never spoken the story of Jesus. We would have never stood in this room and sang songs for an hour. And we would have never said, God, take us out of here with the love of Christ compelling us. And we will, as David and as Mara did, dance. Okay, some Baptists won't. But many of us will dance for the glory of God. And we will do that in practical ways, living out your glory on this earth. And we'll worship. In the 63rd chapter of Psalm, I just want to close reading scriptures and invite our children in to lead us in a closing moment of worship. In Psalm 63, I feel like the psalm writer David just simply tells the story of Easter. It's the story of worship. It's the story of redemption. And it's the story of where I want to meet you in closing today. And just to say, scripture is not wrought with Pollyanna stories. It is wrought with suffering and challenge and hope in a world that often drums it out of us. And David in the 63rd Psalm begins to write of what is invited of an Easter person. In verse 1, this is a verse of faith. Life will deal us blows. Circumstances will challenge us. Obstacles will block our path. The solution that we offer this morning is the same solution offered every single day. It is one of faith and rescue in Jesus Christ. And here's restoration. God, you are my God. I seek you. I thirst for you. It's Friday. This is hard. And I need drink. My body faints for you. This land is dry. It is desolate. And it is weary. In verses 2 and 3, he begins to move into restoration. Saturday, if you will. So, I gaze on you in the sanctuary. I see your strength, Lord. My eyes are turning upward away from my circumstances. And I am seeing your glory. My lips will glorify you. Because your faithful love, God, is better than life. The solution to the issues that we face as we come and say, Father, place us in redemptive community. Give us a heart of worship. Allow us to taste and see that you are good. It begins and is declared in worship. In Acts 16.31, it says these words, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Turn your eyes to the living God in the land that is wearying and dry, and you will drink from water that is never ending. 
And he says in verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live. It's Easter. At your name, I will lift up my hands. Lifted hands means jubilant celebration in the midst of desperate hope. It's with resurrected expectancy that we say, God, I need you. Will you meet me? We lift our hearts and our hands in praise above the darkness, above death, above the grave, above our shame, above guilt, above remorse, above our job situation, above strained relationships, above our unsurety. We lift our hands as a point of desperation saying, Oh God, if you don't reach down and lift me, I am hopeless. And he does. And that is our Easter message. God has led me to this place. He is with me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. Neither will he you. Happy Easter. May there be stories of comeback in Easter, restoration and resurrection among us today. I cannot think of a better way to close a service than pondering the greatest comeback ever as our children and students lead us in worship.